we want you to be glorified this morning in our voices, in our hearts especially. Holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's Sing it loud, church. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
everybody to Creekside Church in the name of the powerful Son of God, Jesus Christ. Why don't you go ahead and greet those around you? Thanks, Nick. I love that song. Uh, just what a beautiful time of year it is to proclaim the Lord is great. Um, we remember the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we were in quite a situation, weren't we, in our sin situation, and, and God in His mercy and love sent His Son to be our Savior, and that's what we remember at Christmas time. and I hope everyone here has had a good time of remembering and having joy and peace in their hearts as they think about that. And Just so welcome to everyone, and if you're a visitor here this morning, a special welcome to you, and in the bulletin you might have gotten on your way in, there's a tab in there you can tear off with some information we'd like to get from you, and in a little bit we'll have an offering, so would you please put that in the offering bag. Uh, speaking of offerings, I was wanting to share with you all, I don't know if it got in the bulletin or not for sure, but the offering we took a little bit ago for the relief in the, in the Philippines, uh, we raised something like $950 for that, so praise the Lord, we're sending that off to CMML and and to World Relief in the Philippines to help the needy there. So praise God for that. Uh, today we have a special presentation after the service. We're going to have a potluck in the back here, as you've seen the emails and announcements. Uh, my future brother-in-law, I will introduce him as that now, uh, is going to be sharing about his missions work in Ireland and Africa. And uh, Lucas, why don't you go ahead and come on up here. We're going to have a ministry spotlight with Lucas right now. Uh, just kind of as a primer for the lunchtime. And, uh, and Lucas uh, is from Louisiana uh, through some crazy connection with my uncle, a missionary in Ireland. You met my sister, Lois, and uh, the Lord's brought you two together, and, and, uh, and now you're officially engaged, right? I've seen the ring and right. talked to you guys. So, <laughs> so uh, just kind of want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, tell about the work you're doing, and, and how the Lord brought you to that. Thank you very much, Mark. Well, as he said, uh, my name is Lucas Richard. Um, I do come from South Louisiana. I hope you won't hold that against me. Uh, I love Iowa, by the way. It's nice, except your weather is, is horribly cold. And, sorry. <laughs> I just got back from Africa. I was in Liberia for um, a few weeks, and uh, it, it got up to nearly 100 degrees with about 80% humidity. And, and I enjoyed that, so you know how I'm feeling here. <laughs> but, um, you know, my name is Lucas. Um, I, uh, I don't come from a Christian background, and I'll tell you a little bit more at the potluck about my testimony, but um, by the grace of God and, and His uh, work in my, in my heart, um, I was uh, called to Christ, and, and I came to the Lord. Um, I come from a Catholic background and drugs and so on. Uh, the Lord reached out to me, He convicted me of sin, and I put my faith and trust in Christ, and today I'm a born-again Christian standing in front of you. Um, shortly after I was saved, I knew that God was calling me to something. I knew that, that there was something He wanted me to do. I was not content to be one of, you know, uh, um, what they call it, a Sunday morning Christian only. Um, I wanted to do something. That was the work the Lord was doing in my heart. And I began to pray and to ask the Lord what that was. Every day I sought God and asked Him to show me what He wanted. And then along came Mr. Jim Gillette, brother here from here in Iowa, and um, he came to my assembly to give a report on, on the work that uh, Ireland Outreach International is doing around the world. After the report, I, um, I uh, went to lunch with him, and that began a, a friendship, uh, a conversation that little did I know would lead to me serving on the mission field in Ireland and Africa and around the world. But um, uh, after the conversation, I began asking the Lord if this was something he wanted me to do with my life. I ended up in Africa for three months, in Nigeria and Liberia. Uh, went to Ireland for a couple of months, 
came back, I uh, talked to my elders about the burden that was on my heart, and my elders commended me uh, from Southside Bible Chapel in Lafayette, Louisiana, and then uh, another assembly in Needham, uh, Alabama, commended me, and I, I left um, October 2011 for the mission field. I live in Dublin, Ireland. That's home base for me. Um, I, part of my responsibility is to be the personal assistant to Jim Gillette, our director. I lead the summer uh, evangelism teams and uh, do a lot of office work, writing articles, uh, corresponding with different foundations, and so on. Um, I also work quite a bit in Africa, mainly in Nigeria. Uh, we have uh, a pretty large ministry with Emmaus Bible Correspondence Courses, along with uh, a compound that we call the Haven of Hope. It's a school, Bible college, uh, water drilling ministry, and so on. Um, I, we also work in, in Ghana and in Liberia. As I said, I just got back from Liberia, uh, where we're uh, just in the process of starting a ministry that um, I look forward to telling you a little bit about later. But, um, you know, prime uh, focus for me here is, is Lois Klein, my fiance. <laughs> I asked Lois to marry me on December 24th, and uh, she very graciously said yes. And um, so she's coming on to be my helpmate, uh, my partner in crime, or in the ministry, sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, you might pray for us as we embark on this new journey of, of running the race together of fighting the good fight of faith, of serving the Lord in the ministry that he's called myself and my future wife to. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Hold on, Lucas. Do you want to come back up here? And then I'll just invite Lois up here too and pray with you too before we move on in our service here. Lord, uh, we just do thank you for Lucas Richard calling him out of a life of sin at a young age and, and calling him into your service. And we just thank you that you've called him to leave all behind and, and go overseas to serve you in other parts of the world and share the gospel with those who need, desperately need to hear it. And just thank you that you've brought Lois and him together. We pray that you would bless their relationship. May you be honored in them and, do, and produce great fruit through their ministry. And Lord, may we, uh, maybe 40 years from now, just look back with great praise and awe and wonder of all the awesome and wonderful things you've done through their lives and ministry. Uh, we just commit them to you in the name of the Lord now, in Jesus' name, amen. my privilege to bring the Word of God this morning as well, and we're in between series sort of this morning. We finished up our Simple Christmas series. Uh, this might be an extension of it, and so I've been titling it Simple Message. Uh, next week, we begin a series in the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's a wonderful book of the Bible. I'm excited we're going to be going through it. If, you know, if I were, had the opportunity, I'd probably volunteer to be up here every week for it. Uh, that's how, you know, if, I guess if I was on, a, on an island stranded and for some crazy reason, I could only keep four books of the Bible. Romans and Ephesians will probably be two of them. I don't know what the others would be. Maybe 1 Corinthians and Revelation. But I'm excited about Ephesians. And we've titled the series Identity in Christ. And it's that key phrase, in Christ, you'll see in Ephesians. A wonderful book. Uh, the message of the gospel. I'm entitling this simple message. The message of the gospel can be recited by a young child in quoting John 3.16. I find it wonderful to work with the kids in Iwana and hear them for the first time get that, those phrases and those words together and kind of start to grasp for the first time 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's so simply stated, and it has such wonderful truth to it, and a child as young as three, four can be saved on that message. It's wonderful. Acts 16.31, remember they were in jail and, and, they, and the earthquake came and they didn't leave, and so the jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The gospel is simply stated, but it should never remain a simple message for the Christian. As a Christian, it should be our lifelong pursuit to understand the depths and the riches of that gospel message. And so this morning, I want to lead us into the great book of Romans, chapter 10, the first 10 verses. Uh, I wanted to do something gospel missions related this morning and with Lucas here, and, and I thought I could speak on missions and the need to go out into the world and preach the gospel, but I thought, why would anyone do that? without a great and deep appreciation for the gospel message itself. Because I believe that the more we understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we appreciate all he's done for us, the more that will motivate us and inspire us to go out and live holy lives, Christian lives, and go out and to do the work that he's called us to do. And maybe to be called by God himself to go out into another part of the world, like my brother-in-law Lucas, to take the gospel to other people who don't hear it. Well, I just want to open up in prayer. Father, I ask this morning that as we look at your word that we might depend on you as our teacher. Help us to understand what your word is saying in this important part of the scripture. And may all the glory go to the name of Jesus Christ in this time of worship. Amen. Uh, let me introduce the chapter with just a few comments on who the Apostle Paul was writing to. In a real sense, the entire Bible was written for us but yet it was also written to a certain people at a certain time. And it was written to a Roman audience about the gospel. And in chapters 9 through 11 in particular, about the state of the nation of Israel, the Jews, God's chosen people, Jesus Christ had come into the world to reveal truth, and Israel, unfortunately, was ignorant of that truth. Israel had all the revelation of God from the beginning, and yet they didn't understand it. And it says in verse 2, not according to knowledge. And in verse 3, they being ignorant of God's righteousness. That's Israel. The Jewish people were such a privileged people. God's chosen people. He saved them from a great famine in Joseph's time. He led them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, through the Red Sea on dry ground, and brought those waters crashing down on their enemies. He gave them the Ten Commandments and the law at Mount Sinai, led them through the wilderness and into the promised land. He gave them all the prophets and scriptures of the Old Testament. And most of all, they, he gave them the Messiah, the promises of a Messiah, a deliverer who would come and save the people. And unfortunately, they missed it. In Romans 9, 4, it says of the Israelites how privileged they were that they were those who, per, who pertained the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So in other words, they had all of that. God revealed himself to them, and yet they didn't know God. If any people group on the entire earth could have and should have known God and known his Messiah, it would have, should have been the Jews. But they were ignorant of it. 
And it's just kind of hard to believe, really. And the ultimate showing of that ignorance was in missing the Messiah, Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, you remember the prayer he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them for what? They know not what they do. They missed it. Shortly after Jesus' resurrection, Peter was preaching. And in Acts 3.14, he says to them, But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. In other words, they traded their Messiah for Barabbas, a convicted killer. And he says, And killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. They missed it. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, was one of these people too. And uh, just like those other Jews, he missed it too. And in 1 Timothy 1, he's kind of recounting that time before he came to Christ, and he says of himself, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Anyone here this morning who feels like the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant to you before you coming to Christ? You think back on the time before you came to Christ and the life you led, and now you've come to Christ and you think, the Lord was exceedingly abundant to me. Um, I was ignorant, living in sin before. And Paul's heart went out for his people. He's going to correct them on a theological level, but it's not just cold theology. He has the warmth of a very caring pastor. Hear his words here in the first couple verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Back up a chapter. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. There's his heart. He has such a tenderness for his people, his fellow Jews. You know, Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, but he, Jews were always on his mind. Whenever he went somewhere, he would go to a Jewish temple and he'd reach out to the Jews first. And he kept thinking of his people. And, and I don't know if he's really saying this in chapter 9, verse 3, but it's almost like saying that if he could, if it were possible, he would gladly sacrifice his own salvation for his own countrymen's salvation. Such a thing's not possible, of course, but you just see his heart there for his people. Such tenderness for them. Such passion for them. Paul is a person who would do anything to see people come to Christ. He said in the, to the Corinthians that he became all things to all men, that by any means he might win some. That's the heart of the Apostle Paul. And do we have that heart? Um, do we have that kind of passion and desire for our people, our countrymen to come to Christ? Is our desire and prayer to God for the people of the greater Des Moines area to come to God? For the people of Iowa to come to God? Is that our heart and passion? Do we pray for that? That's what the Apostle Paul did. We ought to be praying with all our heart for those outside of Christ to come to Christ. 
part of Paul's passion and pain to see his people not going the right way is that he himself was such a zealous Jew for the law of God. Uh, verse 2 says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And uh, Paul wrote a lot about his testimony in different places. And then Philippians, listen to Philippians 3, verses 4 to 7, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Paul was such a zealous Jew, but it was misdirected. In Galatians, he also said about himself, you heard about my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, becoming more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. He was so zealous that he was determined to wipe out the Christian church because he was thought he was doing it for God. They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You see people around the world like that too, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And what was the knowledge that they were missing? Let's look in the next couple verses. Verses 3 and 4. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. End of chapter 9, it said, Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Paul makes it clear that the biggest problem Israel had was ignorance about God's righteousness. Most Jews of that day boasted in their own righteousness and thought they were pleasing to God simply because they were God's chosen people, that they were of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they were part of the national, ethnic, Jewish nation, but they didn't understand what God was like. One of his most essential attributes is righteousness or holiness. And they thought they were more holy and righteous than they were. And they believed they could be righteous by their own good works, measured, measured by their own standards. And to put it another way, they, like many people today, thought God is easier on sin than he really is, that he's more tolerant of sin than he is. So they didn't feel a need for a Messiah to come and save them from their sin to do a spiritual renewal in their heart. They were looking for a great king and conqueror to come and deliver them from their Roman oppressors. Well, both are true, you know. Christ is coming again one day uh, to rule and reign as king on this earth, but they missed the Messiah the first time. I have a uh, a f good friend of mine who does our pharmacy work for my son Benjamin and all his medicines, and uh, he's, a, he's a Jew, and we have good conversations. We're good friends, and he said to me recently that, uh, that uh, you know, I just wish the Messiah would come. And then he kind of thought about me for a second, I think, and he said, well, for the second time or, or for the first time, he was thinking of himself, you know. <laughs> um, they missed a bit. Another word that goes along with righteousness is holiness. God is holy. That means there's nothing impure or sinful or wrong about him. He's absolutely perfect. And he's holy and righteous, which means he hates all evil, and so he hates even the smallest of sin. Uh, 
Early in Romans 3, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, if we really understood that verse and the message of it, that realization should just drive us to our knees in repentance, to realize that God is a holy God, that He's a righteous God, and one day we will stand in judgment before a holy God. The Jews were trying to work their way up to heaven, really. It was impossible, and you can't do the impossible, keeping the law and all the rules and regulations. And The problem with the Jews of Paul's day isn't really much different than the people of any time in history, including our own day. Most people think that God is less holy than he is, that they are more holy than they are, and they can achieve some acceptance to, with him. People measure themselves by their own standards of right and wrong. People prefer a lesser God, a God who will tolerate their sin. Well, I haven't murdered anyone. I do more good than bad, so if there is a God in the heaven, I'll, I'm going there. I heard that from a friend I shared the gospel with. People don't realize, though, that God is holy and righteous at a level that no one could ever be or, could, or will ever be because God is the standard. Just get a glimpse of heaven in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 of angels in the throne room of heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. That would give us a different perspective on holiness and righteousness. I'm a pretty good guy, so God won't send me to hell. Won't cut it. That's dragging God down to our level. No one wants to believe in a God who is angry with them, a God who hates their sin, but God is a holy God. We need to restore a right view of God. Just to refresh our memory on a, a few happenings in the Old Testament of God's holiness and righteousness, you remember in the time of Noah how God drowned the whole world except eight souls because all the hearts of all men were wicked. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah flattened by fire and brimstone. You remember Moses before a holy God on Mount Sinai coming down with his face shining so bright no one could even look on it. You remember how the holy God swallowed up 23,000 disobedient Israelites in one day in the wilderness. You remember how a couple of priests named Nadab and Abihu on their first day on the job offered up strange fire and were killed. You remember that priest who reached out to steady the ark and fell down dead. You remember the prophet Isaiah who came face to face with the holy God and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He got a, a glimpse of God's holiness. Remember how the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee in their boat and the storm came and they woke up Jesus and he calmed the storm and it says they were exceedingly afraid. Um, my, my mentor, pastor, author, and teacher John MacArthur says, what's worse than a storm that might drown you at sea? Having the infinite, holy, and righteous God of the universe inside your boat. Uh, you can probably reflect on a time in your lives where you were terrified by something in nature. I, I can just remember camping in the Boy Scouts in high school down by Winterset and a tornado passing nearby and 40-mile-an-hour winds, and you're in a little tent, and you're thinking, I can't go anywhere else. <laughs> this is scary. The ground is shaking. And I also remember backpacking in, in the mountains of New Mexico, and they teach you about lightning safety. Um, but you are terrified to your soul when you see lightning striking just across the other ridge, and it does strike more, in the same place more than once, by the way. Uh, one, two, three, and the ground is shaking under your feet. There's nowhere you can go, and you're terrified. Just imagine the disciples terrified in the, star in the storm. 
But even more terrifying was the God in their boat, Jesus calming the storm with a word. Boy, I don't know if I'd want to be in that boat or not. <laughs> a glimpse of the holiness of God. Remember how Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles and they dropped dead. God is holy and righteous. And he's given us rules for every area of our lives. He's given us rules for our worship, for our society. Just think about that minute. If, if everyone in the world, in our, in our societies, had a glimpse of the righteousness and holiness of God, how that would change things. There would be no more debates about moral issues such as abortion and homosexuality and capital punishment if we had a glimpse of the holiness of God. He's given us rules about lying, cheating, stealing, coveting, adultery, wealth, our giving and serving. In all these areas in the Bible, the Bible speaks to every area of our lives and we see a God who is righteous and holy and there's so much more we can say, but our holy God is not only himself perfect, but he demands perfection from everyone. Jesus said, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5.48. Quoting from Leviticus, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. I don't think anyone would claim to be perfectly holy, but perfect holiness is what God demands from us. And this should drive us to the realization that no one, on their own, despite their best efforts, despite zeal, can achieve a righteousness before God. Well, then how am I going to make it? I mean, how can God ask us to be perfect like that if we can't possibly be perfect? And that's a good question, because you're not going to make it on your own. God is not going to lower the standard to accommodate us because he is perfect and so he must demand perfection from his creation. Isaiah said all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And You know, this is where we need to lead people when we share the gospel. People need to see their own sinfulness in light of God's holiness before they ever see their need for salvation, before they ever see their need for Christ. Can't really share the gospel without talking about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the foundation for the good news. I kind of ask after thinking about this, why do we even live? I mean, why are we even still here? God has the right to take every life in judgment. If the human race got what it really deserved, it would have gotten it a long time ago in judgment from a holy God. And, and in the end, we just have to kind of conclude that it's just because of God's mercy. It's because of his grace that he spared us from this judgment. And so our solution to our problem of not being able to be righteous before God is to have a righteousness from somewhere else, from his son, Jesus Christ. He's provided a savior for us. And in Philippians 3, 9, Paul wrote that he wanted to be found in him, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. In simple terms, he's saying that when he became a believer, he turned in his own level of righteousness for the righteousness he could never achieve on his own, the righteousness offered to him by faith in Christ. That's a wonderful place to be. Verse 4 is saying to us that Christ is the end of trying to earn that righteousness to keeping the law. When people believe in Christ, all that working and trying so hard to be right for God trying to leave a, lead a moral life, trying to do certain things or not doing certain things to be pleasing to God, it comes to an end in Christ. That's good news. 
I mean, can you imagine being in the Jewish system and not only the Ten Commandments, but the hundreds of rules and laws and regulations and everything they had to live up to? Can you imagine living under the burden of that? People do that today. But as it says in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. And in chapter 4, Paul said, The law works wrath. So all the laws of God really do is demonstrate your sinfulness. That's what it's meant to do, to point you to Christ. It's to help you realize that we're sinners. It doesn't save us. So if someone really wants to live by all that, Paul says, goes on in verse 5, you have to do it perfectly. I mean, if you want to live in such a way that you want to please God by keeping all the laws and the rules and the regulations of the Bible, you have to do it perfectly. Paul quotes from Leviticus 18.5 and says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So the passing grade here is 100%. In Galatians it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law, and the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. I love the book of James, too. It's kind of the practical counter to some of the... It's theological, too, but it's a good practical counter to a lot of the theological truths of the Bible. And in James 2.10, he says, For whoever should keep the whole law, if you were going to set out to keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. If there were a scale of righteousness in God's hands and we were to weigh, well, I've got my good deeds on one side and my bad deeds, my sin on the other side, what would tip the scale? You know, according to James 2.10, it says, if you stumble in one point. So how many sins is that? One sin would tip the scale against you. That basically means if you're going to be righteous before God by doing things or not doing certain things, the, man, the demand is absolute perfection, right? The passing grade is 100%. I don't know if I've ever had a class where the passing grade was 100%. But this is, this is the view of God's holiness and righteousness we have. And if there's churches that teach that sort of works-based righteousness, and, and you know what? Good luck, because you're not going to make the passing grade in God's eyes. Uh, Paul now uses an interesting quote here in the next few verses in Deuteronomy 30 to tell us the righteousness God offers us by faith in Christ is available and it's near to us. That's good news. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. He's saying you don't have to go looking up to heaven to, for the Messiah to bring him down. You don't have to go looking for him among the dead. God has raised him from the dead. You know, Christ has come down. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time, the incarnation, the virgin birth, that Christ has come to be our Savior. They missed it. A works righteousness system is really ignorant of the person and work of Christ. It's really denying the incarnation of Christ. Can you imagine? To attempt to, if we attempt to achieve righteousness with God, to please God in any other way than the work of Jesus Christ, we've missed it. We've denied Jesus coming into the world as a babe. We've denied his resurrection. If we come to God any other way than by faith in Christ alone. 
But the good news is it's available to everyone. And he says it's near. It's near. As, as God's preachers preach and people hear the word of God and salvation by faith, it's yours if you simply receive it by faith. And what is that word? I, I just want to focus on these next couple verses as I start to wind down. Um, in verses 9 and 10 here. What is that word? How do you receive it? It says in verses 9 and 10, and these are really a couple of the most famous verses in the Bible, good to memorize, um, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If we ever need to be on the same page together as Christians, you know, we can have our differences and agreeably disagree on some finer points of doctrine. But if we ever need to be on the same page as something, this is it. How does a person really become saved? I mean, how do I make it my own? And it says here, I see two key words just kind of jumping out at me here. Believe and confess. Believe and confess. That's how to be right with God. Being right with God starts with believing. It's personal, you know. You, you believe it in your heart. It's a deep down belief in your heart. But what do you believe? I mean, anyone could pray a sinner's prayer, but it really matters what they understood and believed at the time they prayed that sinner's prayer. And so a, a few key things to, that we must believe is that we're sinners under God's judgment. We've been talking about the righteousness and holiness of God to help us understand that we are sinners before a righteous and holy God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing I might have faith in his name. John 20, 31, that was the theme verses of our John series. Third, that it is true that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and rose again on the third day. Key beliefs we must believe. And fourth, if we believe him, if we receive him, he will give me righteousness and save me, save me from my sin and death and hell. It's that deep down belief. It's more than just believing certain facts are true. You know, it says also in James 2.19 that even the demons believe. You believe there's one God, good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. So it's more than just believing. You know, thinking about the demons, they, they, they're creationists, I would think. They were there when the world was created. Uh, they believe there's one God in three persons. Yeah, they believe that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again. Yeah, they've seen it. Um, but they're not saved, right? It takes more than just knowing the facts. Paul here gives a real emphasis on believing in the resurrection in verse 9. You know, of all the miracles and attributes of Jesus, why is this one singled out? And it's because it proves that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and did what he said he came to do, that he is God. In Romans 1, three, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead proves that Jesus is God's Son. When God raised Jesus from the dead, it, it just showed God's power and it showed His approval. You know, when He was baptized, He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And, and He probably was saying that again at the resurrection, right? He was showing, raising from the dead, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. He did the work I sent him to do. And he came and he died for our sins and he came out the other side. He won the battle over sin and death and Satan and hell. 
and came out victorious. That's why the resurrection is important. In Romans 4, it says, It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. We believe in the resurrection because it proves he accomplished our salvation on the cross. I mean, if he didn't die, if he didn't rise from the dead, then we're not forgiven. There's no hope. But there's hope because he did rise from the dead. The Apostle Paul was filled with this hope when he wrote 1 Corinthians 15. You remember these words in 1 Corinthians 15? He said, If Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Uh, if, mission, if Christ is not risen, then missionaries are the most pitiable people in all the earth. Right, Lucas? <laughs> You've gone out to another part of the world and committed your life to Christ and preaching the resurrection from the dead. And if he's not raised from the dead... You're still in your sins, and you're the most pitiable person because you're preaching that he's been raised from the dead. But Christ is risen from the dead, and there's great hope in that. And we must believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's an essential part of Christian faith, and because we're saying that we believe Jesus is the God who came into the world in human flesh, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and was buried and was raised on the third day from the dead. Because he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated hell. Well, I said the two key words were believe and confess. And believing is more than just acknowledging facts about God. Anyone can believe certain facts about God and maybe not be saved. You could come to church every week and believe that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, but maybe not be saved. Maybe you just have belief of facts in your heart, but it's not a deep-down belief. So what else is there? Confess. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Confess Jesus as your Lord. I mean, people can have a knowledge and agree with what the Bible says, but not be saved. People can feel guilt over their sin, believe the Bible is God's word, and still go to hell. So it's more than just a knowing about and, a, and believing certain facts are true and being religious. It's acknowledging. It's committing yourself to Jesus as your sovereign ruler. That's the issue. True saving faith acknowledges Jesus as Lord. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. The demons can't do that. That's where they fall short. That's where they're not saved. They know everything about the Bible, but they don't acknowledge him as Lord. They can't do that. And Jesus put his followers to the test and said, follow me. You know, would they be willing to follow him? as their Lord and Master, no matter what the cost was. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He said, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he told him about the law, you know, honor your father and mother, and all the law. And he said, these things I have kept since my youth. And Jesus, knowing his heart, asked him to give up the one thing that he knew he was still holding on to. 
And he said, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and follow me. That rich man went away sad that day. He left. He couldn't acknowledge Jesus as the sovereign Lord and master over his life. When you come to him, you come to him for who he is. He's the Lord God Almighty. That's a position of the highest authority. It doesn't say that you have to have everything in order and right in your life and perfect when you come to Christ, but when you come to Christ, you acknowledge him for who he is. He's the Lord, and he's the Lord of your life when you come to him. And when you put your faith and trust in him as the Lord, you're, you're willing to obey anything he asks of you. You might not know everything he asks of you when you first come to Christ, but there's a willingness to obey. You know, if you don't see a willingness in your heart to obey Christ as your Lord and Master, you might, it might be a good idea to ask yourself, am I a believer? I mean, I'm not wanting to challenge etern- the doctrine of eternal security here. Once you have genuine faith in Christ, you are secure in Him. He's given you eternal life. But it's a good question to ask. Is He my Lord? Is He my Master? Are you going to follow and serve Him? And if you're hearing this message and thinking about where your heart is, if you're not willing to follow and obey Jesus Christ as Lord, maybe do a reality check and ask if you're really a believer. The problem is so many people want to maintain, maintain control of their life. It's human nature, right? You want to stay in charge of your own life and make your own decisions. I do. You know, people are happy with their lives the way they are, and they don't want to turn their lives over to someone else. And it's really because they love their sin. It might be fun for a while, but don't forget There's a God, and he's perfectly holy. And in his perfect holiness, he will judge sinners. And what you do now will count for all time and eternity. One day we'll all appear before a holy and righteous God, and if we're depending on leading a moral life, doing more good than bad, any other kind of religious works, we're going to fall short of the glory of God. But if we have faith in Christ... And if we believe in the resurrection of Christ from the dead and are trusting in him by faith, he gives us a righteousness we could never earn on our own. And we are made right for all time and eternity. If there was ever a time to make that decision for all time and eternity, it could be this morning for you. I just would kind of like this to close our eyes here as we come to a, a closing prayer. And I don't know where you are, but God knows and you know, just ask yourself, have you submitted your life to the Lord? Maybe you're a believer, but you're not walking with the Lord and your faith is kind of cold this morning. And maybe this morning you can rededicate your life and repurpose your life to following Jesus as your Lord and Master. Maybe you're saying, well, I believe all that stuff, but I'm not going to live any different. I'm going to continue running my life. Uh, But maybe this morning could be a turning point for you. When you really think about it, you know you fall short of a holy God. You know deep down that while you believe in God, you've, you've never really committed your life to him as your personal Lord and Savior. But if not now, then when? When are you going to stop living for yourself and start living for something bigger and better than yourself? Reach out to faith in Christ who came into the world and, and died and rose again that you by faith might be made righteous. Believe and confess and become right with God for all eternity. Father, I pray you'll do your perfect work 
in our hearts as we've heard from your word. And thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and rise again victorious over sin and death for our righteousness, for our salvation. Lord, maybe someone here this morning believes all the right things, but there's never been that full submission to Jesus Christ as their Lord. Please bring them to you now that their need for righteousness might be met. Lord, we're, the believers are going to take communion now. And, and in doing so, we remember that great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for our sins. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we just thank you for this time that we remember as we take the bread and the cup to remember that. And we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And at this time, if someone needs to repent and turn their life over to Christ as their Lord or rededicate themselves, this will be a good time to do that in the quietness of their seat. And we just praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. do so and as we hopefully most of you can stay for the lunch and hear from Lucas in just a moment uh, about God's work in Ireland and Africa I just want to read the next paragraph in that section in Romans 10 without any comment from me but just let the Lord speak to your heart as we prepare our time to hear from Lucas uh, who according to these verses has beautiful feet listen here for the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Lord, I just thank you for our time this morning in the book of Romans, and, and I, I thank you for your servant Lucas, and I pray your blessing on him as he shares his testimony, um, uh, really the same testimony as all of us, so we come to you in faith in Christ alone, not of our own righteousness, but of the righteousness you provide us and cover us in through Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, and we just pray your blessing on the food, and thank you for the those who have worked hard to uh, prepare it and make it ready for us this morning. Uh, just pray your blessing on each one here this morning. Again, that we would just be in awe and wonder, filled with joy and peace of the miraculous birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come to earth to be our Savior and Lord. We thank you in his name. Amen.